Hello and welcome to another episode of OK Boomer. I'm your host, David Knight, and along with me, my partner, Hannah Rice. So before we get started, please ring that bell and follow our channel. Go to your settings in your phone and hit OK to receive our latest content. OK Boomer is brought to you by the annual Family Fest, Denver's largest family festival taking place at the National Western Complex, Saturday, February 22nd, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Take selfies with Clifford, free kids activities, vendors, prizes, and stage presentations. Kids are absolutely free. Adults are $10, but get tickets for 5 bucks by purchasing online. Use promo code OCN HALF at the checkout. Go to eventbrite.com now and search Family Fest and get your tickets today. Act now, the day of the event. Ad adult tickets are $15. Family Fest fun for the entire family. More info at familyfests.com. So, uh, Hannah, we're back. I guess we, we yes, made the cut. I'm we pretty did. pleased about that. <laughs> I, can't believe, I can't believe it's been two weeks uh, since we kind of kicked off the OK Boomer show. So, yes. Uh, did you get any feedback from friends and family? Yeah, I heard a few things from some friends and um, some coworkers that really enjoyed listening to the contrast. And um, I'm sure some of the ones that aren't technically a Gen Y or Millennial or Boomer might feel a little left out, but that's all good. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but I do think the Boomers and the Millennials are like the top of the kind of generation species yeah. tree, if that's They're if that's anything. Definitely the most topical. I think people talk about them the most, like the Gen Xers and kind of the ones, yeah. what's before uh, Boomer I, again? It's, uh, boomers were, before that was the silent generation, so they're yes. pretty silent. Um, <laughs> and then... They're Pretty the, old. <laughs> the, the greatest generation. I'm not sure if there's many of those guys. They're probably just minding left. their own business somewhere, they, not really wanting to partake in this yeah, conversation. Yeah. Well, I got some interesting feedback from my millennial kids. Mm -hmm. You know, 26, 28, and 30. So they thought it was pretty funny. They they enjoyed it. Um, Did they take my side on anything? Uh, so. Totally your side, right? <laughs> so it was it was kind of a family conversation around the dinner table, which was kind of fun. So uh, you know, let's let's go even deeper and, and have a little bit more fun this week. And uh, I figured that the topic for this week would be toys, technology, beards, and tattoos. Mm. So, uh, you know, I was just kind of riffing, you know, listening to the last one. And, and obviously technology was an area that we wanted to dig into. Yes. Um, but there's also some really key differences about the toys that we played with as kids, um, the perspective on, you know, beards, are they in or out? Because that's fairly <laughs> topical. And, and I don't have a beard today. I did two weeks ago. So it kind of comes and goes with the... I guess the, um, the the phasing of the moon, um, and then and then uh, tattoos, right? So, uh, do you have tattoos, Hannah? I do not have tattoos, but I would say I'm kind of the outlier when it comes to that now in my generation. Uh -huh. Most of my friends um, have them. I mean, honestly, though, like not a lot of my close friends or even my boyfriend or my brother. We don't have them, so okay. I guess maybe it's, I don't know, we just, but yeah. it's not uncommon. I think that's, I would still say that a lot of us are outliers. I'm not going to lie, I've thought about gotten, getting one, but yeah. I just haven't gotten around to it. Well, <laughs> let's, let's push tattoos to the end. So let's start with toys, right? So again, you know, I was growing up in the 60s, like late, late 60s, early 70s, um, and so... You know, it was very different to the the playrooms and the and the kids rooms that you see today, and what what kids are doing. Um, so, when you were growing up, what was what was your favorite toy, or what's your memories of like um, you know playing with your friends and and what you were doing? Well, I was definitely a girly girl. Um, I loved dolls. I thought dolls were fun. Like the Barbie dream houses were always like the coolest toys for me, and. That was def probably when I was a bit younger. I thought that was really awesome. Um, I think I really liked, um, and I, I would say part of that has not much changed probably from your generation. I think little girls still fall into this habit of kind of wanting to create like a household scene. Like I would always create like a house with a mom and a dad and the kids or just like, I don't know. My mom would always catch me kind of finding little ways to make these little nuclear family type scenarios with my dolls or I don't know I was my parents would 
argue that I was very creative too because if I didn't have a doll, I would just use something else. Like I remember me and my one of my close friends in elementary school. This is going to sound really weird, but we took tissues and we made them look like little ghosts and drew faces on them and we made little ghost families. That's cool. <laughs> But I think that was like a day at daycare when we didn't have all our toys with us. So right. we, we had to make do. Right. But yeah, I would say I definitely clung to that girly girl type. Loved dolls. I liked dressing up, if you consider that a uh-huh. toy, I guess. Yeah. Like any sort of like princess outfit or that kind of thing. Did you have like that dress up like locker in the in the in the room or the toys room where you had all the kind of dress up clothes, you know, some adult favorites and princess outfits by the sound of it did you have like a a go-to place where you had all these dress-ups I did I had I think I mean we actually when I was about 10 9 or 10 we moved to a new house and um I was somewhat coming out of the dress-up phase but I still loved like all my stuffed animals and all my toys and things and so we had this little extra room in our new house that was too small to really use for anything like it was basically a storage space and my parents kind of let me turn it into my little toy room and so I kind of kept a lot of stuff in there and they just thought it was hilarious the way I had it all set up with all my like teddy bears and things like aligned on the walls and then I had like little areas yeah I don't know I think they saw my OCD starting to come out pretty early on in childhood wow Well, I must admit, uh, my my toy collection, uh, I can really remember. My favorites were Lego, right? And that was just basic kind of building blocks. There wasn't all the fancy-dancy people and things. It was just like square blocks and long blocks. Um, but I, I can really remember getting like this huge box one Christmas and it had, had a motor in it. So it was like a big kind of motorized thing. So you could make things that moved, which was pretty cool. The second big thing was Hot Wheels, right? So... Uh, those orange tracks that you'd kind of like, you know, put around the the bedroom or the lounge room, and you know, have your cars go around as fast as they could. Um, but again, it was it was pretty pretty basic, but lots of time to kind of set that up and build that up, and find integrating Lego into that as well. So I can remember kind of building like little things around the track and make it as real as possible. So it was fun. And then I had an action man. So that, I guess that was the male version of a Barbie doll. Mm-hmm. And because you know the um, I, I got one Christmas. I got like this lunar capsule and a spacesuit for Action Man because it was around the time of you know putting the first man on the moon. So that was pretty. That was pretty cool too. Um, but he he'd really go everywhere th- with me, um, especially when I was out and about. And I think that's probably one of the big differences you know that I I'm observing today versus you know 50 years ago. We were outdoor kids. I mean, we were literally get out of the house in the morning, um, much safer environment, you know, get on your bikes. Um, I actually spent a lot of time in Malaysia, so it was like my other toy was a butterfly net, so we would go into the jungle and catch butterflies <laughs> and, and um, you know, just, just be so active. I mean, we would come back exhausted and hungry, and our, our kind of only requirement was we needed to be back before the sun went down, right? So all the street lights came on. So, you know, it was kind of like a bunch of guys – you know, we're talking five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten kind of age group on bikes. You know, just riding around, enjoying, you know, enjoying the outdoors, and um, just I guess getting into some mischief. But it was it was pretty harmless stuff. Um, and then uh, and yeah, so that was kind of so my bike, my action man, my Lego, and my Hot Wheels were like that was it. You know, and uh, every Christmas I'd be waiting for like the next, you know, the next set of cars or the next set of tracks or the next piece of Lego or the next outfit for my action man. So. I don't know. I didn't, what, what what do you think about outdoors versus indoors today, and what you experienced? Were you p- like pushed out of the house, like don't come back till lunchtime, or don't come back till the sun goes down? Yeah, I mean, I think we definitely probably not quite as much time, like all day type thing. But I mean, I do recall like once we were old enough to maybe be out when our parents weren't necessarily have to watch, like be watching us. Um, we would ride our bikes a lot. My dad obviously taught us both how to ride a bike. I think I got a bike for Christmas one year and that was very exciting. So being able to have some freedom to go ride your bike was definitely an exciting thing. And we, I remember when we were, I don't remember how old I was exactly, but we got a trampoline in the backyard. Wow. Yep. And so the trampoline was a big deal. We would spend like hours on that thing. And I'm pretty sure we tried to like spend the night on it in sleeping bags <laughs> one night. And so I would say that like, 
I mean, once we got a bit older, we were allowed to explore a little more because in, um, I used to live in Highlands Ranch, um, which is just another suburb outside of Denver. Um, but we had a park right across the street. So sometimes my dad would take us over there with our bikes. So we would go to the park. I think we just found it a little more exciting to like go somewhere and be outside, like maybe at a park or, or we just kind of stayed in our backyard and did our own thing, like maybe played sports. Me and my brother both played lacrosse, so once we both started to get more into that, we got a lacrosse net, and so we would play in the backyard with right. our lacrosse stuff. So I think anything associated with sports we really enjoyed, bikes. Um, I just I was pretty close with a lot of the – my next-door neighbor was one of my best friends growing up, so him and I would hang out quite a bit outside, and he had um, – frogs their family had frogs and they were in like a little terrarium outside so I remember we were always going to like visit the frogs at, the, at Chris's house so but anyway yeah we I think we still like put quite a bit of um time into spending time outside I, I don't recall like my parents having to like really like shove us out the door but I'm sure there was some of that yeah. like once technology took center stage and tv and Things like that, they definitely had us outside more often. But, I mean, I would also say that, like, during the winter time, it was a little more enticing to go outside, which sounds weird. But when you're a kid, like, being outside in the snow sounds like so much more fun. Yeah. You can go make little forts and tunnels and snowmen and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, well, there definitely wasn't any, any snow in Malaysia, but, um, you know. Like <laughs> different, the, experience, different experience. Different experience. parts of the world. But you mentioned technology, and I guess that's an interesting piece, right? Because, you know, I don't know what the average age is now of kids getting cell phones or app, iPhones, but it's probably, I'm going to say six and seven. It could be younger than that. I know you see young kids grab their parents' phone at the age of two, you know, and play with it. Yeah. But, um, you know, that, that's interesting. We didn't have any of that stuff, obviously. And so you really were out of contact with your parents for, for all day, right? Um, but that's not so true now, right? So you've literally got young kids having cell phones, so they're in direct contact with their parents all the time. And I think there's even, you know, capability, you know, for parents to track their kid's phone, right, so they know exactly where their kids are. And so there's a safety net there that's interesting versus, you know, the world, um, you know, 50 years ago. I'm not sure whether it's safer today or not as safe today um, versus when it was, or it's just a kind of paranoia about safety. But, um, you know, you see kids, you know, inside video games, obviously technology, TVs, iPhones, iPads, whatever. I mean, what, what do you think that does, you know, to kids today? And, and how did you experience that in your generation growing up? Well, I would say, I mean, things started to really um, get more advanced probably when I was about, like, middle school, high school age even. So when I was, like, in elementary school, um, it was pretty rare for someone to have a phone. I think I might have gotten my first phone. Like, for, for my parents, their philosophy was kind of like, when's the period of time that you're going to be separated from us the most and we're going to need to know where you are and communicate with you, which was about, like, I think sixth, seventh grade, because that's when I was doing a lot more stuff independently. So that was kind of their thought process on that. And I think that was a lot of other kids that I was growing up with too. But at the same time, our phones didn't really, they didn't have as much bells and whistles as the ones today do. Like we couldn't, there was no internet. It wasn't a smartphone. Like basically all you could do is probably like text, call, and like play little dumb Tetris games or something mm -hmm. like that. And um, so I didn't really get that full experience of having like the full internet at my fingertips at sixth grade, which in my opinion, I think can be a little bit dangerous nowadays. And I would say that parents are definitely, um, caving a lot earlier. They're letting their kids get these smartphones at maybe like fourth, fifth grade when you're only like eight or nine or whatever it is. And, I, I have some cousins that are, um, I was always kind of the baby of my extended family, so a lot of my cousins are having kids and that kind of thing, and we always kind of get in the conversation when we have, like, family get-togethers that they always were telling themselves that I'm not going to be the parent that gives my kid the phone at Red Robin because that we're just not going to do that. But then they're like, but then you get in a situation where you're at Red Robin and your kid is screaming their head off wanting your phone and, like, 
I think a lot of us in that situation would just be like, fine, fine. <laughs> Take the phone. Be quiet. Entertain so yourself. I, I, I think nowadays, like as a parent, it's going to be, I mean, for myself even, I'm not really sure how I'm going to navigate that with technology because it's just going to get even more advanced. And it's not like you can hide it from them. Like right. they know it's out there. They know it exists. They don't want to be deprived of that. But at the same time, it's like, where do you draw the line when it comes to like their age and just like what they can see and what they know how to do. Like my one cousin, her, I think she's two, her two-year-old daughter already knows how to get into Netflix, click on a show she likes. She knows how to get into Disney Plus and change like their little picture, like their avatar. Right. Like she knows a lot for two. She can barely speak. Right. All she knows how to say is hi, like a thousand times, <laughs> but she can do all that. Right. So that's like a little scary. I think it's cool if they're using that in the right way when they right. start to get older, but we all know people don't always make yeah. good decisions. <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge difference. I mean, I, I go back to my first job, which I was a sales rep, right? And I'm, I'm on the road selling actually Frito-Lay products like chips and stuff like that. And uh, there were no cell phones. Um, so, you know, I would have to pull out the street directory, which I think people today don't even know what that is, right? It's a book of maps of your little city, right? And you'd have to go to the index and say, I've got to go to Johnson Street. You have to look it up and then find out where you are. And you'd have to go from map, you know, 27 to map 32 to map 64. You'd have to navigate your way through, you know, where today you just hit GPS and you're on your phone and you're there, right? And it tells you voiceover, turn right, turn left, right? So so that was a difference. And then I'd literally have to plan my day and pull off and find a, you know, a phone box, right? That's a phone inside a box on the side of the street and you'd have to pull out in Australia 20 cents, right? And instead of a quarter here and you'd have to put it in the phone dial, the office, and then you'd have to read over the phone, um, you know, your orders for the day. And the challenge was, you know, finding phones that weren't vandalized. So, you know, for some reason, people like to beat up phone boxes and rip the, the guts out of the phone. Or you'd be there calling in and somebody would be desperate to use the phone because there's no cell phones and they'd be knocking on the door trying to get in and, and interrupt and you'd be trying to apologize saying, hey, I just need five more minutes to read out my orders for the day. And So you'd get, always get in this conflict. But it was just, it was, I was just thinking about that last night. It was just such a different world where you know, street, you know, phone boxes were a real thing. And, you know, you had no connection to the world and through what we have today. So different kind of skill sets that you needed, you needed to have a spatial awareness of like where to go, right, instead of relying on your phone. And you had to plan your day more if you needed to connect with somebody, you had to like change your plan and go and find a, you know, a phone box somewhere and call somebody. So, I mean, have you ever, have you, have you ever heard somebody say that? Like, a world without phones or technology. I mean, sometimes it sounds a lot more peaceful being someone who has grown up with it basically my entire life. But I think, yeah, it definitely presents a lot of challenges that we've just never had to deal with. And I think it's definitely, I've had instances where it's very much shown how much I rely on like a GPS, like simple things like that. Like I had a a pretty bad experience. I went, I studied abroad when I was in college and I went to, um, we were in Rome and we pretty much were just using our Google Maps the entire time we were abroad and kind of got way too used to depending on that. And I went out with some friends one night and they kind of wanted to stay and I wanted to go home and somehow... One thing led to another. We got separated. I was by myself, and my phone battery was at about 10%. (laughs) So I was trying to kind of navigate myself through Rome, like, with the 10% that I had left, and eventually it died. (laughs) So I had no way to contact my friends. I had no map system. I... The streets of Rome start to look very similar (laughs) if you've ever been there. And so it's just so confusing and difficult to get through if you don't really know where you're going. And so, yeah, that was a moment where I was like, I should not have done that to myself. (laughs) Being someone who didn't know where I was going should not have let my phone get to 10%. Right. It was just such like a... (laughs) A learning curve. A learn. Yeah, I was like, God. I mean, I finally figured it out. I got to the point where I was like, I'm not really afraid to talk to anyone at this point. I was kind of like English, English, like asking people if they could, I don't know, help me get back to where I needed to be. But yeah, that was a very eye-opening moment where it's like, I rely way too heavily on this stuff. 
I think I've been using GPS ever since I got my driver's license. Right. I got my driver's license in 2012. And I... <laughs> Um, I've been using a GPS ever since. Everyone's laughing at me because that sounds like two days ago. Like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's true. It was, I got my first car driver's license. I was 16 in 2012. And yeah, I just, I think I had a GPS. I had my phone, so I had my GPS yeah. and yeah. And I'm guessing that car's not a stick shift because that's relevant because I swapped no. out my car yesterday and I've got, we, in Australia, we call it a manual, but it's a stick shift, right? So it's like driving through traffic now with my phone, with my GPS, trying to stick shift. has been kind of an interesting learning curve, but yeah. stick shifts are kind of fun to drive. They are. And I think on that point, I think my car has the capability of switching to manual and it's more just like if you want to do it for fun. Like people are like, you can have the stick shift because I have paddle shifters. Right. And so you can kind of like do the manual thing like for fun. But yeah, it's kind of not manual because <laughs> it doesn't have a clutch, right? So yeah, you've got to like a cl clutch exactly. down, accelerator off, change gear, grind, <laughs> and then clutch out. You know, so it's it's kind of it's 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 technology gone crazy in terms of automation in your vehicle, but. Uh, Social media comes with that iPhone, right? So I actually turned off my Facebook January 1st this year. I'm like, I'm done with Facebook. I just, uh, and it's kind of fun. It was a way to connect with um, friends and family in Australia, but it was just, I was just looking at going, this is just depressing sometimes. And it's just like time wasting. It was just like time is so precious. And you now that your phone tracks your kind of what you do on your phone and says you spent four hours on, on social media yesterday i'm like what so uh what do you think of social media is it good or bad where, where is it going well it's a part of my job title i am literally a social media manager so I'm so you not, don't want it to go away obviously i'm not really yeah i mean i would definitely have an interesting time <laughs> finding a new job if it completely disappeared i have some other skills i can lean back on but um I don't know I mean social media I think at first was a really cool thing and I think I don't know as it's kind of gotten more and more advanced it's gotten more and more problematic in a lot of ways um I would say my generation has kind of like we all started in like the Facebook era when it was really big and we really like partaked in a lot of the conversations on it and posted more but I think like the last time I posted on Facebook was maybe like in college I've just kind of like a lot of my friends and everyone has kind of dropped off Facebook and now we're kind of on to like the Instagram world Instagram Snapchat TikTok is a new one that I am just now learning about so it's like there's almost like a new one every year right and so I think I don't know a lot of times, especially for women, I would say that Instagram has become a bit of a toxic place because of the kind of life expectations, beauty expectations, body image expectations that everyone kind of tries to portray in such like a, I don't know. Is it reality or a not reality? I it's think that's the question. A majority right? of the time, absolutely fake. A lot of people find a way to make sure they highlight the best parts of their life and then no one ever sees any of the negative parts of their life. Like there's this term that's been flying around for a long time called FOMO. And it's like fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. And I would say one of the biggest things for me with social media is like I definitely get in my own head like seeing a lot of my friends. It seems like they're on a vacation every week or they're like at the beach every week or they're staying at this like five-star hotel and it's just like swirling around in your head. You're just like, how do you have the money for this? How do you have the time for this? Do right. you have a job? Right. How do you not have a job? I wish I didn't have to have a job and be able to do all these things. So it kind of just makes you start to think that you're doing life wrong. Right. And that's just like a really crappy feeling that you just have to sit with every single day. But at the end of the day, it's like you really have to take a step back and realize like these people are only showing the absolute best, most sparkly parts of their life. Right. They're not showing you the really crappy days when they like got in a car accident or right. got broken up with or like right. anything crappy that you don't really want to show people, you don't. So Instagram has just become this like, 
massive aspirational catfish if you will (laughs) yeah like it's the life that you want everyone to think you're living right so i think that can definitely have a lot of dangerous effects on people's mental health especially my age and i think not to go into a dark place here but it's like some kids in high school and things like that are really taking these things to heart and taking some very drastic measures if you know what i mean to kind of escape these like I mean, and that's just seeing it as far as just kind of like partaking in it that way. But people are also like commenting back and forth, sending nasty messages to one another, kind of like posting sort of a subliminal message that they want someone to know that they're kind of like making fun of them and just things like that that have gotten really not good. (laughs) It's a a tough environment to grow up in and it's changing everything that we do. Let's just talk about going to a restaurant now right so you go to a restaurant the food arrives and all of a sudden you can't touch it because everybody has to take photos of it right (laughs) and so it's supposedly slowing down the whole restaurant experience because people like now spending time taking photos and then posting and so that whole meal timeline is changing and big big shout out shout out actually to one of our team members Larry, um, who is like the OCN restaurant guy. So last night he invited me to one of his influencer kind of deals at Piper's Inn, which has like the best wings in in Denver. Mm -hmm. There were 25 you know, influences there and the food came out and then all of a sudden the light camera action, like they had lights and no one could touch the food and they were taking it and they did an amazing job of posting and highlighting. But I was just, I was just sitting back going, wow, this is such a different experience. And that, you know, there's ability to really market, right? You know, um, products or places or events. So, you know, there's good and bad to that whole social media. Now it's like, the place you go to to find out what's happening in your town, right? Or what's the latest, you know, thing. I'm buying so much stuff off Instagram now. It's like all of a sudden I see a piece of sporting equipment and you swipe up and you click and all of a sudden, you know, it's it's on its way to you. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool piece. So I, I guess like everything technology-wise, there's pros and cons, right? Yes, I mean, I would say like you just mentioned it, that influencer word has been quite a buzzword and in the last probably four or five years where it's almost like Instagram has become like people's main source of income. It's like a business to them and influencers, that's kind of what they call them depending on what they do, whether it's like they're promoting fashion or food or hotels, they basically are getting paid by these companies to post on their Instagrams, like them wearing the shirt or going to the hotel and then that's just like how they make their living because these companies know how big of an influence that's where that word comes from that these people have because they have like millions upon millions of followers that are going to kind of get this product placement type exposure to these things where it doesn't seem so in your face yeah but i mean the ads on instagram are kind of like a whole another beast whereas like the the influencer stuff it's like we're all sort of catching on to what these people are doing but at least it still seems like a a normal person out there just wearing an outfit going about their day but deep down we know it's because they're wearing an outfit from revolve and revolve paid them a certain amount to post this outfit and wear it wherever they're going so i just think that's definitely a little bit of a newer thing with social media that's taken the forefront for sure. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, these platforms are monetizing themselves as much as they can, right? So yep. again, it's that big D word, the data word, right? So, you know, these guys are capturing huge amounts of data about their consumers through the influencer programs, through Instagram, what you click, what you like, what you share. Um, so it's pretty powerful as a marketer, right, in terms of the day job, you know, marketing products and businesses, you know, that data and that new field of influences or social media where you can get the awareness out on a new product or you know convert people to engage or or actually you know buy is really really powerful you know back in the old day where you were really what are your options to market well you can get a tv spot or you can buy a radio spot or you can buy a billboard put an ad in a magazine that was kind of it right now there's thousands of options in terms of how you can find your your market find your target market and you know get down to basically one-to-one communications where you can send somebody a dm on instagram directly for a product or 
you know, it's 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 pretty incredible. It's mind blowing now how much data is out there on 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 ourselves as individuals. So it's no doubt that you sometimes feel that you're in a room talking to somebody about a new pair of running shoes, and all of a sudden, you know, voila, right? You're getting bombarded through everything. Like, here's a new pair of running shoes. It's like, how the hell did they know I was interested in running shoes? And you you start to like backtrack, like, who's watching me? Who's listening to me? So, you know, yeah. it's kind of funny. I mean, that's what makes it even possible for my job to exist is because these companies, like if you're not in the social media data game, like you're not in the game, right. like you're not going to be able to compete on the same level as some of these other companies that have taken so much time to kind of invest their entire business strategy into these platforms, right. which we talk about over and over that you never know what's going to happen with social media. So it's part of us to also remember that one day some of these platforms might not exist. Right. So we just have to keep coming up with new ways to get attached to people and kind of interact with them, like sh like show them things on their feeds and in kind of an organic manner. So it's like you always kind of have to know that these things could be disposable and right. that we just have to keep moving yeah. on to the next crazy thing. So. I mean, it's as we know, it's all about content, right? And now content is king, but it's in the hands of everybody, right? So it's easy for somebody to take a photo of something or now take a video of something and actually edit it on your phone, add words to it, add what effects to it, whatever you want, and then distribute it to the world, right? Yeah. So it's so unpredictable so, for yeah, sure. Yeah, total. Total. Well, we're glad to have you on board at, at PIN because you do an amazing job on the social <laughs> media side. So, yeah, technology is interesting. It's, you know, ever-changing, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it, you know, on these shows for a long time. But mm -hmm. let's move to Category 3, beards. Um, you know, <laughs> it's funny. It's like you, you – I, I don't know whether it's now that I'm in Colorado or whether it's just, you know, um, winter and everybody's trying to keep their face warm, but there just seems to be beards everywhere, even when you're watching – you know, sport now, you know, whereas most people that, from my observation, that played, you know, NFL or baseball or whatever, really had clean-shaven faces, and now they're just beards everywhere. So what, what's going on? What's what's the beard thing? Is that, a, is that a millennial thing, or is that just like a fashion statement these days? I mean, I think it's, yeah, I think it's just kind of like a fashion thing, where it's like it doesn't necessarily have to do with a generation per se, but I think it's just like those kind of things just ebb and flow through the through the years, like back in the 70s, like long hair was definitely a thing and everyone had it. And now I think we're kind of then probably once like the 80s and 90s came, people, I mean, men were probably kind of going for more of a clean shaven look from what I can tell. Obviously, I was not there to, <laughs> to witness it. But I mean, that's just kind of like the the difference that I've seen. And then now I feel like we're kind of back in an era where we're um, kind of into that. It's almost like a way of expressing yourself with like beards and men have all these weird things that they do with it like no shave november where they like don't shave for the entire month and then like that's for a, I uh, can't remember what the other ones are but I mean there's a ton of them out there that Mo it's Movember right like or, you know yeah for your mustache grow a mustache for Movember or something yeah, like so that so it's like and I've heard a lot I've had a lot of guy friends that have partaken in um, competitive sports and I, I would argue that you can even see it when you see some of these guys in the NFL that they're like they'll grow their hair out until the season's over that's right. like kind of a thing like I feel like sometimes it's just a personal choice like they just think they look better with a beard or they think they look better with long hair but sometimes sometimes it is associated with something like that like oh we're gonna wear long hair all the way through the playoffs or right. we're gonna not shave our beards until the end of the season so it's just I'm just Things so like that. I'm just so surprised because like if you wore long hair in rugby, you know, you, someone would grab your hair and swing you around, right? I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm so. There's all this long hair hanging hanging out of the helmets. If I was playing NFL, that's the first place I'd go. I'd just go grab a bunch of hair and pull it out. But well, and I don't know if that's illegal. It's an illegal move in the game, but it's just like, what is all that hair? It's just, it's part of the uniform, so just yeah, gra grab, it, grab it. So I, I guess there's an internal code that you just don't do that in the in the game. But I, I look at this in a, in a you know to me not shaving is kind of lazy, right? You know, and I, and and I'm all for it. So you know, finally I, I get a point where my you know my beard's grown out maybe a half an inch and it becomes kind of itchy and irritable. So then I just take it off and then start again, right? So it's like a as I said, phases of the moon, right? And so you know when you're outdoors and you're out 
hunting, fishing, trekking, whatever, then it's kind of fun because you kind of feel rugged and close to nature. But, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of mixed between the, you know, the facial hair, the smoothness, and you feel kind of clean and fast when, you're, when, you, when you don't have a beard on. But when you have a beard on, you kind of feel at one, at one with nature, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think in the past it's definitely been more of like a, a cultural thing and then different generations that did experience when it was considered a little bit, yeah, like you said, lazy or you're not going to be taken serious maybe in like the business world if you do have like a super huge beard. It's almost like if someone had like a full sleeve like tattoo, anything visible right. to someone that looks like somewhat unprofessional in their eyes. And I think beards used to fall into that category of like, oh, like if you're not, if you have like a full beard and you're coming and wearing like a suit, it's kind of like, it's sort of a paradox or like it doesn't make sense. It's like Grizzly Adams in a business suit, right? Or you see the beards on the bikers, you know, on their Harley Davidsons. It's like, okay. But now it's like you see a lot of young professionals and even I think older men like my dad, he, he, I think he's paying attention to the fact that it's very trendy to like wear a beard, but he's got basically like all white gray hair now. And so whenever he tries to grow a beard, he thinks he looks like Colonel Sanders. <laughs> so he's like, I'm, that's not for me. The young kids pull it off, but yeah. I think I'm, I'm, that's not for me. Yeah. But my brother, my boyfriend, like many of the men in my life all have like at least like stubble or they kind of like go for the very like, slight mustache and I'm not gonna lie I think it it looks good like it almost makes them look like especially if they're younger and they still have like a little bit of a baby face it kind of like defines their jaw a little bit makes them look a little more mature so I think it can make like a guy look more attractive but there are some like I'm not really a fan of like the huge beards like that go past like this point even is like a little too much for me I don't really yeah, there's Love advantages there. It seems like they store their food from the last meal in their beer, which is a bit nasty. So <laughs> I it's know. Like I always wonder that as well. I'm like, do you, like, get food caught in it? Like, I always ask weird questions to, like, yeah. the guys in my life that do have beards. I'm like, does anything get caught? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, interesting Interesting to see where this is going to go. I think it's a little bit of a fashion statement. It's a little bit of a trend going back and forth. And uh, we talked about influences, right? So I think that's when you see key people – you know, like, you know, wear a beard or, you know, grow out a beard, long, short, then people start to look at that and go, oh, that looks pretty cool. So it becomes yeah. a fashion influence kind of piece. I mean, but. I think for men, like, they consider a lot of their role models, like the athletes, like kind of fashion, whatever style role models, like a lot of the guys in the NFL dress pretty fly. And so if they've got a beard and look really cool, like, I'm sure, like, guys are like, I'm into that. I would definitely do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So, you know, lights lights on, lights off. So, um, <laughs> hey, you mentioned briefly tattoos, which was kind of like the last piece. You mentioned like, you know, beards and full sleeves was like not really kind of uh, cool for the work environment or at least – but that's that's changing too. I mean, you're seeing lots, sure. of, lots of tattoos. Um, you know, let's, let's push into that. So you said you don't have a tattoo. I have a tattoo. I have a tattoo. It's a very small tattoo. <laughs> so that's another story. We'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But what's what's the what's the deal now with tattoos in terms of um, you know what's what do you think's been driving that? Is that a generational piece or is that again a fashion influencer piece? I mean, I think it's definitely has to do with the fact that I think people, especially in the workplace or just like in. I don't know, like family scenarios, any sort of kind of like cultural scenarios. I feel like they're more widely accepted now. Like you're not considered like a bad person or like, I don't know, just some of like the negative connotations that came along with like having a tattoo. Those have kind of dissolved. I don't think anyone like sees someone with a tattoo and thinks anything of it anymore. So I think that's why people in my generation consider it a little bit more attainable to get one and not be like judged or anything like that and I think as long as it's not on your forehead right or on your cheek yeah that's coming up up your neckline up into your jaw even still though I mean there's lots of as we've been talking about like role models celebrities influencers there's lots of celebrities that are doing those ones that are like on their face like their neck their face their ear like kind of very visible like right as you look at them and so it's I mean it's getting pushed further and further like how far you can go with tattoos obviously those people are in an industry where that's sort of more widely accepted and they can kind of do whatever they want but 
not to say that, I mean, I think in a lot of careers now, it's like almost like you can't discriminate against someone for having a tattoo. So I think that's almost like a safety net for right. people my age where they're like, well, like they could never fire me for having a sleeve. So like, I'm going to do whatever I want. Right. And I mean, I think part of it too is now that, I mean, I'm sure they were pretty advanced back in the day too. It's like some of these artists can do some pretty incredible stuff, but it's just a way of expressing yourself. And I found that a lot of people don't get tattoos just because they, I mean, they do. I would say that's, that's not entirely true, but they like meaningless tattoos is what I'm trying to say. Like, I think a lot of people get tattoos that have a very deep sentimental meaning to them. Like a lot of times it'll represent like a special date or a special person or a special moment in your life. And that's almost been my like hold off of getting one. It's like I've kind of learned the tattoos to people sort of have to mean something pretty special if you're right. going to like permanently mark yourself with it. And I've always kind of taken that into account. And I just never felt that I had like this really great symbol or number or anything that I just like wanted to like use. Right. So I've just never... And then I've, I don't know, I've gone back on that a little bit and I'm like, well, why does it have to mean anything? Why can't I just get something that I just think is cute and fun? But then I always have this internal struggle with myself and I'm like, well, would 45 year old Hannah think it's cute and fun? <laughs> like, I just don't know if like some of those things will carry with me throughout my entire life. And unless you get it like blazered off, it's right it's stuck with you. So it's like, it is, it is kind of stuck with you and, and yeah. it does change over time as your skin gets old and wrinkly. And, you know, it's just like, well, what are, what are, what is it going to look like when you're 50 versus when you're like 20? So yeah, yeah all good things. So yeah. So, uh, my daughter has, uh, just really cute little tattoos on her fingers. Very, you know, not, almost subliminal, but you know, just interesting kind of design features and then my middle guy who's in that whole bmx skateboard piece he's got some fairly large tattoos across his body but at least you know his i think his mom counseled like you know at least have it so in the places where you can cover it up right if you're going for a job interview yeah. so, so uh you know that his program is kind of building on his um on his tattoo stuff so mine in full disclosure uh i did a bunch of Ironman triathlons um, when I was in my 30s, mid-30s, I think. And, uh, you know, that's a kind of whole, almost became a cult, right, where you started to have this Ironman logo, which is, they call that red M dot. And that signified, you know, that you had put your body through that kind of, um, that, that challenge. So I think after about my third one, I decided you know, with my buddies in Australia would go up and get a tattoo. And, you know, in Australia, it was at King's Cross, which was like a red light district. So the tattoo parlors were all next to the brothels, I guess, for some strange reason, and bars. And this was a big nightclub. And the tattoo parlors are run, run by bikies, right? So each bikie gang had a tattoo parlor. So it was a pretty, it was a very foreign kind of experience. And we were total novices. So we knew we needed to drink before we went into the tattoo parlor because that was like a badge of courage. And the three of us were just, I, you know, I brought two guys along to help me get my tattoo. And I, was, I knew where I was going to put it. I was going to put it on my ankle, you know, just as a you know, place that, you know, underneath my sock, right? And uh, so we turned up to this place. And luckily, I had a guy who was actually an art, a design artist, right? And so we go into this bar, you know, this tattoo place with big bearded guys with tattoos from a bikey gang and said, hey, I want an Iron Man tattoo on my leg. And the guy looks at me and goes, what's Iron Man? I'm like, well, it's a triathlon. I'm like, I'm, now I'm talking to somebody who has got no concept of what, <laughs> what an Iron Man triathlon is. So in an inebriated state, you know, I said to my buddy who's a designer, can you draw the logo, right? So it's just an M with a dot on top of it. So, you know, three drunk guys in a tattoo parlor trying to draw with a pen <laughs> on a piece of white piece of paper the logo. And uh, we got we got it pretty close, but the funny thing was, it was literally one inch by half an inch. So it was like a tiny little thing. So it was tiny. It was like less than a postage stamp, right? And so we hand this over to this big burly guy in leather jacket, you know, with you know tattoos all over him. Said, "This is what I want," and he just looked at me and laughed. He said, "Where where do you want that?" Right? And I said, oh, "Just on my ankle bone," right? So. He goes, yeah, well, that's going to be pretty painful. I'm like, I'm cool. Like, you know, I've endured lots of pain. I'm okay. And so, you know, three three more beers later, I'm, I'm you know, put my leg up on this chair, and he's got the red ink, and, zzz, zzz, and I'm like, 
fuck, that hurts, right? It's like, <laughs> it was like right on the bone. And it, it, it was over within a minute. Like he just, you're done. And I looked at it and go, oh, wow, okay. So uh, so anyway, put a Band-Aid on it, you know, and walked out, you know, paid like 20 bucks, 30 bucks for this five-minute experience. We were laughing and it was quite, kind of hilarious. And then I kept it covered up. And because I hadn't told my wife or my kids about it, and then finally the band-aid fell off, and my my middle guy Andrew one day goes, "Dad, why have you got a scab on your leg, the shape of the Iron Man logo?" And, and so my wife comes and goes, what, "What's he talking about?" I said, "Oh, I got a tattoo." She looked and goes, "That is the wimpiest tattoo I've ever seen." So, so I had to go back. Like learning was, we went back like a month later with a drawing, you know, an actual, you know artwork for the logo that was much bigger and then they actually kind of put it on top of the old logo so if you look really closely at my little iron man tattoo which is still pretty wimpy on my on my ankle you'll see a tattoo inside a tattoo so it's a good story but it was just like yeah that's my kind of wimpy tattoo effort but there you yeah. go there you go all about badges badges of honor i did it because to your point it was a significant event in my life and i wanted to remind myself that I was up for that challenge and uh, to keep me on the straight and narrow. So I ended up doing 19 of them, 19 Ironmen. Wow, so, nice. Yeah. My brother did a few of them, and he says they're, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. My 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 really proud moment of last year is uh, I had a buddy call me up and said, hey, do you want to go do a Lake Placid Ironman? And I'm saying, oh, maybe. You know, it's been a while. Anyway, I, I decided to do it, and then he pulled out, and so I texted my daughter I've always wanted to do an Ironman with one of my kids so she's a millennial and I texted her and said hey do you want to do the Ironman with me and she goes yeah sure when is it I said it's it's 14 weeks away she goes great let's go so uh so and, and you know she didn't even think about it didn't even blink and uh so we just started training you know she had never run a marathon so the run is you know the run is a marathon at the end of the race had never really really ridden a bicycle since she was a kid and it's 112 miles on a bike she was a really good swimmer and still is, and so it's a 2.4-mile swim. Um, so it's a significant day out, right? So my best Ironman was, like, under 11 hours. And uh, and so, you know, I was expecting to do, like, a 16, 16-and-a-half-hour 16 Ironman, and, uh, which I did, but she beat me by two hours. I mean, she was, she was a, a beast. We had a great day. She uh, got out of the water, like, five minutes ahead of me, and then I caught up to her on the bike, and then we rode together for... A long time and then we got out onto the marathon and she goes see ya and she knocked out a four and a half hour marathon and i'm still out there walking seven hours later so she beat me like by two two and a bit hours and so when Holy i finished moly. she was fast asleep so she uh, her first ironman was just like a, a great thing but i think if i think about that you know just as millennials um you know very courageous and you know just sign up for stuff that you know probably the naivety of she didn't really know what she was signing up for although she she knew you know through watching me or knowing about what the number of Ironmans um, I did she just um, she just stepped up you know and uh, I, I'm not sure if she'll do another one she wants to do a half Ironman which is you know in 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 perspective you know easy to do because it's it's only six hours of work not 11 yeah. hours of work so. if i knew i was gonna if i could do the first one i could totally do a half <laughs> for sure but yeah i mean i would say our generation has i mean this can even go hand in hand with tattoos it's just we got a lot of daredevils we got a lot of brave people that are just willing to try new things and i think we just have the means which is we're all fortunate for that to get to try all these different things and I think we prioritize a lot of these experiences over just like living a mundane life like yeah. we all have goals and things that we want to accomplish and challenge ourselves or else we don't feel um like we're fully living life to the to the fullest or, yeah there seems to be a yeah. dichotomy of this generation right that you're talking about some are really into life and nature and you know keeping their bodies super healthy and you know um pushing themselves to the limit so you see a lot of young people out there running riding jumping swimming you know jumping off stuff you know spartan sports mud buddies whatever they're mud you know tough mudders or whatever they're called right so there's lots of cool stuff and and maybe again it's colorado colorado to me seems like a really you know um outdoory you know lifestyle go up in the mountains go hiking go trekking go skiing you know the city's set up for lots of biking you know lots of skate parks lots of so it's a pretty cool town in terms of 
giving facilities and um, you know encouraging people to be pretty active out here. So um, it's that old, you know, well, it's not old, but you know, you look at today, and I think America gets dinged a lot for you know obesity and bad diets and bad food. So I think we're seeing a, a really fairly significant shift in people um, on what they're eating and how they're exercising. I don't know yeah. if you think that's a generational thing or it's just life. I mean, I would say we just have the information now to understand things that are toxic to our bodies, like fast food or cigarettes or just anything that is not going to benefit us in any way <laughs> physically. So, I mean, I think that definitely helps. I mean, I there's some exceptions to the fact that, like, older people that care a lot about their fitness and their health. So, I mean, sometimes it just depends on the person. Sometimes it's just where you live. Because um, I know Colorado definitely doesn't have, like, anywhere near the closest obesity rates in the United States. But, um, I mean, I think... Yeah, there's just a lot more information and exposure to ways that you can be healthy out there that I think in a way can be a little bit pressuring on our generation, but at least it's out there and at least you know and you can kind of get to know what's best for you and your body and that kind of thing. So, um, I mean, yeah, I think that's what I would argue for. Yeah, and I, I think technology has a play there as well. I'm just trying to think through right now. So I'm trying to get fit again this year, trying to lose 40 pounds, right? So it's my, my challenge of shedding weight. And now I have all these apps, all this technology, right? So yeah. I'm logging my meal every every moment, right? I'm weighing in and, you know, putting you know putting my, my weight in, you know, should be daily, but I'm kind of behind the scene there on that. And then I've got this keto pen, right? So I'm doing the keto diet. So now I have a pen that I blow into to tell me if, you know, what level of ketosis I'm in. So I've got oh all this technology, right? It's like, okay, you know. Uh, so again, I think that's that's pretty interesting. You know, it's the old adage, if you don't measure it, you won't, you know, change it. So, you know, you have the ability now to kind of measure everything. You were talking earlier about the watches, watches, our yeah. watches, right? So, you know, I've got um, a, a Garmin watch for, which I bought for doing the iron man so I could track my training and track my miles and you know I basically um, really just keep an eye on my heart rate right just because I just don't want to blow up right so I'm just making sure that when I'm pushing myself for that 16 hours or whatever that I'm really keeping my heart rate in a zone and if it gets out of control then you know I know I've got to like really slow down or stop or take a drink of Gatorade or whatever yeah I um, mean even me and my friends I've only had the watch since about Christmas and um, I never really thought I would use it that much but I think now that um, I've been working out a lot more and I take these fitness classes that are kind of like high intensity interval trainings and that kind of thing where you do burn a lot of calories it's really fun to kind of just see how far you can take it that day and like how far you can push yourself and it'll track all of like yeah like your heart rate and calorie count distance traveled that kind of thing and uh, my roommate and her boyfriend and a few other people that I have, like, you can kind of sync up and anytime, like, you finish a workout, you can, they get a notification that you finished it and you can send each other challenges. So right. I think in a way, like, that's kind of a cool, positive way that technology can benefit your life. It's like you can challenge your friends to do something good for themselves that day, be healthy, burn calories, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I think in that way, that's why I've really loved my watch and it's been kind of encouraging for me to like keep going and yeah. like doing workouts. Cause I'm like, ah, oh, like my roommate Janie did a workout today. Like I gotta go, I got, I gotta go do one too. So I can yeah. send her a challenge or just fun things like that where it's like at least we're doing something positive you know <laughs> yeah no it, it's kind of fun I every, you know this watch measures my sleep right so in the next day I kind of like sync my watch to my phone and then my phone tells me like so you slept seven and a half hours last night and then you had this amount of REM time this amount of deep sleep and you know it's it's, it's kind of interesting because again big believer in sleep and recovery you know especially when you're working hard and training hard it just your body repairs itself at night so that's kind of interesting and then on Sundays I do yoga you know when I'm in New York I do yoga with my daughter who's a who's a yoga instructor but we go to like different yoga classes and uh, it's normally like Sunday chill and then like two weekends ago Sunday chill was completely booked out and so she goes oh well let's go do this hot yoga it's a little bit more intense 
a little bit more intense. Holy moly, I had my heart rate monitor going on and I literally thought I was going to pass out. It was like this 90-minute session of like you're stuck on the mat sweating like unbelievably. And my, I looked at my watch after it, my, my, my average heart rate was like 135 beats per minute, which is like me running. And, and my high was like 154. And I'm like, how the hell did that happen? And uh, it, was, it was pretty intense. And uh, we, we went to brunch afterwards and I'm like, I need to sit down. I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't cool down and my heart rate was still up really high. So anyway, I, I guess, the, I don't even know why I went down that track, but mm-hmm. you know, the side story is, you know, your watch now and your technology actually gives you some pretty good insight into, you know, what you're trying to achieve. And, um, you know, again, um, you know, I, I don't know how we did that in the old days without any kind of technology like that, but you can literally monitor your sleep, monitor your heart rate, you know, my wife and I compare our steps for the day, like how many steps did you do today? So you watch his, like yeah. counting your steps and it's, it's, I guess it's pretty cool, but at some point you kind of geek out and go, yeah. like, this is a bit crazy. I mean, I'm sure there's definitely people that take it over the top and kind of let it consume them, which I think you need to be a little careful with that. Like I definitely joke around with some especially when it comes to dieting I would say like any form of exercise like I don't think you can I mean obviously you can take it too far but it's like as long as you're I think exercise is less of a negative thing if you're getting way too into it but I think if when it comes to dieting and like kind of like food meal plan things like that where you can be probably neglecting your body of certain things just to lose weight or for some sort of like I don't know I just think that's where people take it too far, especially women, when they're sort of like starving themselves or doing these diets where they're kind of like taking out certain things that they need in their diet just to avoid that extra calorie type thing is just kind of a little scary and easy to make fun of because you're just like, really? Like everyone, (laughs) they always make the joke of just like people that are vegan, like you don't ever have to ask because trust me, they'll tell you, they'll tell you that they're (laughs) vegan and they will just, I mean, restaurants nowadays pay so much attention to all these dietary needs like gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, keto, which is great for people that want to stay on track with that and still like enjoy their life and go to restaurants. But I mean, just to make the point that I think it can be taken a little too far. Totally, totally too far. So yeah, I'm keto at the moment. I've been like keto for three months. I was a vegan for a year and a half and uh, that was interesting. I I like to experiment with this stuff mostly because I've always like my weight goes between uh, at my my fit weight, I'm like 185. At my fat weight, I'm like 245, 250, maybe 260. So, uh, you know, I've got this expandable body, and it's just related to calories, right? So, at the end of the day, it's really simple. It's like a little piggy bank, right? Calories in, calories out, right? So, whether you're eating keto or vegan or whatever, um, you know, it's just how many calories do you put in your body? How many calories do you burn? And if it's if there's a surplus, you'll put on weight. If there's a deficit, you'll lose weight. It's really quite simple. Not that it's easy, but no. not that it's actually really hard to lose weight. And I'm just finding as I get older, it's just so hard to shed some pounds. But uh, yeah. um, just in full disclosure, I'm actually going to start a seven-day water fast probably Thursday or Friday. So uh, I will probably be very hangry for like four or five days. It's a concept right now. I think it's actually pretty cool when you read about it. It's a really good way to kind of reset, reset your body, reset your metabolism, um, you know, lose, lose some weight and stuff like that. So as we think about our next OK Boomer show, as we wrap up here, um, you know, it's we'll, we'll see if I actually kind of went through on this seven-day water fast. Maybe it'll be a two-day, but maybe it'll be a seven-day, so we'll see. at the end of the day, you just got to do whatever's good for your body. Everyone's different. I think you can't really, like, take one person's side or whatever it is. You just kind of got to do what's best for you. Yeah. Well, this has been a huge kind of journey today, Hannah. It's been a lot of fun again, and uh, hey, everybody out there, ring that bell. Uh, Give us some feedback. What topics do you want us to cover? But... uh, This is David Knight from the OK Boomer Show and Hannah Rice. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to the next one. But everybody out there, have a great, great week. Uh, Be good and uh, say OK Boomer to some boomers. And boomers out there, be nice to the millennials and we'll all get along. And uh, 
The world is a beautiful place. There's much to do. Let's get busy and change the world. So David Knight, Hannah Rice signing out for OK Boomer. Thank you, everybody, and bye.